Hey, I'm Emily. And I'm Tom. And we are are Wicked Twisted. And welcome to our podcast. Emily, how's your week? Um, You know what, Tom? I was waiting for you to ask me this and one, my week kind of sucks because my boyfriend has COVID, which isn't the best, but um, I do have this very splendid drink and I am sporting another like I'm in college, watermelon and a lot of vodka. I love in that drink. I love that I, for you. Thank you, thank you so much. Somebody needed to love that for me, other than my liver. Um, so I had this realization the other day, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like, is this like a lie that I'm making up in my head, or is this something that Tom actually told me one time? And one time, I remember you telling me, Emily, for lunch. I ate a chicken salad sandwich that I had found in my car, and I don't know how long it's been there, but I feel fine, so I don't think I'm going to die. And I vividly remember you telling me that at some point. You know, Emily, it is possible. It is possible. And I have a similar story, but I mean, yeah, let's just say that that's a very possible reality. Okay, so Tom would find a sandwich under a seat so, and say, this is probably still good. Tom, it was like 80 degrees outside during the middle of New England summer. Look, I'm not a scientist, okay? I am not a scientist. It was fine. It's a microwave. Microwaves right, sure. do wonders. They do wonders. Sure. <laughs> I do have a similar story, though, and regretfully, it did not work out for me this time. Oh, now I need to know. Right. So for the first like 90 days or whatever with my job, there's an aspect of my job that's sales. So it's Mm -hmm. like driving into the city and talking to clients and stuff like that. Well, unfortunately, I had eaten some additional leftovers from my car. And I wish the audience could see the silent judgment I'm giving you right now. (laughs) I'm feeling very judged, but I'll keep going. So I had to use the bathroom a couple of times. And then we kind of like passed by this like one gas station or whatever before we get into the city. Because as you know, you can't use a bathroom in the city. Like they're locked. Like you need to like buy a coffee. Like you need to park. It's like a whole thing. They always yell at you if you go into the Dutch and Donuts. They're like, can I use your bathroom? And they just, they, yeah. they throw donuts at your face. Yeah. So like I went to the bathroom probably three times between our office and like the gas station right before you get into the city mm-hmm. and I'd yeah I'd use the bathroom like three times and my my boss is like are you good and I was like yeah yeah like I'm good like feeling kind of like self-conscious or whatever like not wanting to get into it and then we're on I'm sure you know Emily like Sturro Drive or whatever it's like that off-ramp that sends you onto that like wicked long stretch of highway yeah yeah, yeah. okay So, but in traffic, that's like, you're sitting there for two hours. That was the worst. Well, 10 minutes into starting that endeavor of not being able to pull over the car, my tummy was rumbling (laughs) and (laughs) bumbling. Emily, I had to take a shit. Oh my God, Tom. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Am I going to shit my pants in front of my boss? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, your boss was in the car with you? Yeah. Oh no. Oh, this is like This is the worst situation. I know it was really bad. It was really bad. Like if I was going to explain, like I found a sandwich under my seat and thought it was a good idea. Well, like I, so, (laughs) so we're sitting in traffic and I'm like, if I was alone 10 minutes ago. So I, I, I apologize to all of our listeners that this is the conversation we're having. We make it into the city and I'm like, 
I have to use the bathroom by our old workplace building. And so I get dropped off like outside our workplace building. So I walk in and I'm like, I have to use the bathroom. And they're like, well, I have to go. <laughs> Don't you understand that when yeah. someone needs to go, they need to go. I th- I did tell a lady one time that I would pee on her floor if she did not let me use the bathroom. So I make it to the bathroom and some time had passed and like, this poor guy comes into the bathroom to check on me. I don't know if you've ever had somebody like come into the bathroom to check on you. Oh, it's But mortifying. it is the most mortifying, like horrible feeling that you can ever feel. I don't care how long I'm in the bathroom. Do not check on me. There is a reason <laughs> I am in there that long. Do not come check on me. I do. Like, no matter, I appreciate no it. No matter don't how do you're it. doing, you have to reply with like very delicate, like, I'm doing okay. Thank you. I'm okay. And just shrivel up emotionally. <laughs> oh my, just like literally the the shoulder roll. I can picture it now. Like your shoulders go up and you're like, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, oh man. We've all, we've definitely all been there though. That's, uh, that's pretty disgusting. And from here, Tom, I don't think our podcast gets any better because I'm going to do a very brutal case today oh, and I don't it, know if it has ready. to be all up from here oh completely completely so I am going to warn you though we're going to do a two-parter okay so today's going to be a two-parter you're going to get the first part today you're going to get the next part next time whenever I can finish the research because this case was a lot more than what I thought it was going to be I will don't give trigger warnings <laughs> don't you love when like you get into something and it just like explodes it's like oh so you want to know Oh, so you want my my Google search history right now? I'm surprised I have not gotten flagged oh, at, my, awful. at my work. Oh, it's so bad. And like the amount of podcasts and YouTube videos I had to watch to get all this information, it's pretty bad. So I will give trigger warnings as it like comes up, but I just want to I just want to give you a warning now. All right, Tom. So we've covered a lot of topics so far mainly conspiracy theories and kind of like in the unknown realm. But today I'm going to take it way down the wicked twisted rabbit hole to the deep depths of a cult that is extremely gruesome and terrifying in my opinion. Today we're going to be talking about Roche. And I cannot say the name correctly because it is French Canadian and I do not speak French, unfortunately. Um, Roche Terrio, but it's spelled T-H-E-R-I-A-U-L-T. And he is the leader of a group called the Ant Hill Kids Cult. The what? The Ant Hill Kids Cult. Right? I, I'm disturbed. I'm Already, disturbed. right? Already. I was like, the Ant Hill? Ant Hill. One, all I remember is stepping on ants. And then I can think of that like weird kid in the corner taking a magnifying glass and burning the ants. Yep. Okay, so like I said, I do want to give a trigger warning. This does involve abuse of children, extreme violence, mutilation, and more. So if that is not your cup of tea, please feel free to either skip or wait until those parts come up and skip a little bit ahead, except for Tom. Tom is going to be subjected to all of it and has to listen to everything that I have to say. So you don't really get a choice. (laughs) Oh, great. Oh, great. But I I do apologize for the nightmares that you get from this, Tom, because You know, it's a good thing I have my matzo ball soup before. (laughs) It is good because you probably should not be eating while while you listen to any of this. Um, But yeah, good, good luck with any of the nightmares you get. 
so that with that being said, let's dive right in. And today we're going to talk about uh, Roche Terrio and all the awful and wicked twisted things that he did. So let's start with who he is. Uh, Roche was born in, and again, I cannot say it, Saguenay Valley in Quebec. Uh, May 16th of 1947 to his parents, Hyacinth and Pierriette. Yes, I know. I can't, I can't imagine you in a room like practicing these names. Uh, it took a and, like, freaking walking lot. in on you and you're just yes. like. Yes, I tried and tried and tried and like my mouth will not make any of the words that I needed to. Just like picturing so. you like in a room alone, like trying to like recite these names over and over exactly again. Exactly. It's a lot. Happening. It's probably like the most disturbing thing. Well, and what's worse is that while I was doing research, I listened to a bunch of different people and every single one of them said all of the names differently all of them really and so I was like what is right what is not right because some people that I was listening to had accents like British accents some didn't some were French and could say it with French accent all of that kind of stuff and I am a dumb American and cannot even speak English half the time so no (laughs) I am not able to pronounce them but I'm going to try my best how terrible are we but I do like the name Hyacinth because I thought that that one was cool I like that name so uh, Roche was the second of seven children, and he was the oldest boy. Roche was born in an extremely devout Catholic offshoot religion known as the Pilgrims of St. Michael, or better known as the White Berets. And his name came from the fact that they actually wore white berets at their meetings and events, and even when they went door to door, handing out their religious teachings and others. So they actually did wear white berets. Now, this religion was only started in 1939, so it's not that old. Um, And it was a new sector of religion run by volunteers and financed strictly through donations. They had a few publications at the time, which was part of the reason why they had members go door to door so that they could pass along literature and get it out there. They were really trying to upstart this religion um and it's a little bit different if somebody comes knocking to your door and they have white berets on you know what I mean you're kind of you kind of have questions for them and you kind of want to know what they're about I haven't even seen a beret in my entire life they're like it's like a good entrepreneur like I yeah okay yeah so that's exactly what they were doing and so at age seven Roche and his family had moved from central Quebec to Ford Mines still in Canada Okay. Um, this was a huge uh, asbestos-producing region, um, and I don't know if you know about asbestos, but asbestos is a mineral that, when inhaled, can lead to many medical conditions and to timely deaths. But uh, they were like, "Yeah, this is the town for me, so we're going to go where the asbestos is." Um, Ew. Ew. Gross, right? Yep. But they were like, "No, we're going to move there." Uh, and Marcia's family, by and large, was a normal family. Neighbors like them, there seemed to be no signs of abuse, and they grew up fairly normal and nothing to really tell there. As a kid, Roche was considered highly intelligent. He loved reading. He loved learning. He was very outgoing, oh. and he excelled in school. Right, just like this kid who wanted to learn was intelligent. Oh, he's just doing it. He's like yeah. wheeling and dealing. He's just wheeling and dealing. He's only seven. He's got a lot of siblings. They go out on the weekends, and they spread their literature and wear their berets. Uh, the only issue that the school in town where they had just moved to, Thetford Mines, only went up to grade seven, and therefore neither Roche nor any of his siblings had received an education beyond the seventh grade. That was oh. li- that was it for them. And so this poor kid who 
really loved learning and loved reading and liked school a lot and was excelling, uh, by all means was absolutely excelling in school, wasn't able to go on and continue schooling. And a lot of sources will say that he dropped out and that is not the case. It, it was just a fact that the school in town did not go past seventh grade, unfortunately. Can we just like talk about like a missed opportunity? Let me just say, uh, and I'm going to say this throughout the whole thing, because you're going to find out that Roche is a terrible human being. So feel bad for the kid. Always feel bad for the kid in these people. Do not feel bad for them as an adult and they start to like make their own decisions. So you want to feel bad for him now? Great. I did too. Childhood is so important. Childhood is so important. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. There's I mean, a like, lot of things. There's yep. like weird ass shit that I do today that just like I did as a kid and like was ingrained in me. And like, that's just like mm-hmm. part of my weird quirkiness as like a human being. Like childhood is so important. It is. And the way that you're raised and like the the influences that you have, the people who take an interest in you really do help shape your psychology and who you are and what you're interested in and your morals, your ethics. So the one thing that I will say is that hated the fact that he had to go door to door with a white beret on and do this religious thing he did not like it he never wanted to go he would like drag his feet and honestly I don't really blame the kid I'm not for like making kids go into a specific religion or go door to door like preaching something that they don't necessarily believe in and as a like a seven-year-old somebody who's in seventh grade you're about like how old are you you're like 10 11 years old that's the area where you're starting to kind of like know what embarrassment is you know what I mean sort of like self-identity yeah yeah and so that's the one thing that I could gain from this is that although he was a really bright kid he definitely did not like going door to door but other than that completely normal childhood from all accounts that I could find there was nothing going on with him as a kid however later in life this is about when he's like 14 years old from from what I read uh, Roche will tell you something completely different. He would go on to say that his family was extremely abusive, especially his father, and he would abuse him severely on a daily basis. But his father and his family and everyone who knew them completely denies that. And there are no physical evidences of him ever being abused. But like, mm-hmm. So this is what, where you start to see it. Why, why would he say that, though? I you're gonna because like sure like every every like young teenager or whatever like they're looking for an attention grab Mm -hmm. but like there's so many places that you can go before you get there correct correct there was even and I didn't put this in here because I don't know why I didn't put this in here probably would have been funny however there was something going around that said that his family would say that he played with bears like he was befriending wild bears outside and like roughhousing with them I'm from getting what like I a saw. lot of like russia vibes I, uh, me too thank you i the entire time i kept going like this kid's from russia he's not like, French yeah, Canadian. Like, they, this is in canada right we are not in canada we are in the tundra of russia and people are fucking around with like, bears okay viewers like be. quick fact check look into <laughs> russia Fact <laughs> check does Russia exist? I don't know. Did Finland exist? We we still haven't figured it out. Which 
on a side note, some of my friends reached out to me, or some of Mark's friends reached out and said, does Emily really not believe in Finland? (laughs) And I died laughing. (laughs) Yeah, we're just like so against like the uh, sustainability of fishing. Yeah, completely, completely all made up. But okay, back, back to this. So there were no actual, there was no actual sources or evidence of him ever being abused, but he was going around saying that his father was the worst of it and that he was getting abused constantly as a kid. Okay. And as a, and as a child, Roche and his siblings would go door to door with his father, passing along that literature, like I said, um, no surprise, Roche hated it. And as the years went on, his hatred transformed into hating going door to door, but now he started hating and pushing away from Catholicism. Catholicism as a whole and all other organized religions. He was like, all right, why I had to go door to door is because of religion. And not only do I hate going door to door, but now I'm now I'm against religion completely. I, I want nothing to do with it. And his hate just kept growing. Okay. He's like and an angry, angry boy. Yeah. Right. Okay. And again, he's around 14, 15 at this point. So you can you get that teen angst within you that starts to yeah. starts to build up. Whether you had a good childhood or not, like everybody kind of goes through that. Somebody needs to like buy this kid like a good, like, you know, pop punk like CD or something like that. <laughs> pop goes punk CD from like 2010. Yep. Like, we all know um, the one. So here's here's where the struggle like starts. But uh, Roche began to complain about going door to door in the organized religion. In return, he gained attention and he gained sympathy from people. He gets addicted to this and he starts complaining more. And now he's where he starts saying that he's being abused by his family, especially his father. And now he takes it a step even further. He starts telling people that he's being abused, but that he and all of his siblings were born out of an incestual relationship between his parents which again what again was never proven at all they weren't related like it was proven wrong he was not born out of an ancestral relationship but this kid is starting to understand that if I complain if I make up these wild stories people start giving me attention people start giving me like sympathy and I I start playing the victim and he he likes it he why like for what purpose you're, I'm gonna get into it a little bit later, but um, you'll you'll find out what I think. Somebody needs to take this kid to a store and be like, choose like six black band shirts and like here's all this, you want. Like here you go. Here's this My Chemical Romance CD. Listen to it on repeat. Cry yep. in your room under a blanket and just yep. stay there for a couple of days and tell me how you feel after. And then like you're fine. Like you're fine after. You're fine. You're good. You can go back into society after that. Like you'll never stop listening to that, but like you're fine. Never. Um, So he starts growing into his teenage years and um, he started as this young, outgoing, bright child who had to go door to door, preaching with his family. And then he begins to hate going door to door with this religion. This is just kind of like summary of everything. He starts playing the victim. Okay. And he loves the attention that it warrants him. So Roche decides, okay, I hate organized religion. But I do like spirituality. And he starts researching the Old Testament and becoming obsessed specifically with the idea. No, specifically with the idea of the apocalypse and the end of the world. Oh, honey, no. Yeah, he started believing that the end of the world was near and that there was a battle of good and evil happening. Oh, oh, no. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, there's a lot of dark and gloomy things in there. There's a lot of strong themes in that. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And again, I'm not making fun of religion. This isn't my cup of tea, but like I was raised Roman Catholic and I do know a bit about the Old Testament. (laughs) Yeah, I was raised Catholic too. And I think there's a lot of themes in there. I think it's like supposed to reflect like what those people went through back then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like honey like leave it in the past like let's, leave it let's it's have, old like, for a, a reason little lesson like get it don't out throw of there. stones at people like let's move on also it makes it was baffling to me for him to sit there and say i hate catholicism and i hate going door to door and i hate religion like, but then he <laughs> But let me just get interested in spirituality. And then what I'm interested in is still in religion. Like, it just made no sense. Yeah, it's like improperly using like a religious like document. Right. And that's what ends up happening for the rest of his his life. He ends up using religion improperly, basically. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, but that's all we know about his childhood. So that was... And uh, in, in my eyes and in every source that I can find, he had a very uneventful and very normal childhood. So I can't say that this is one of those like nature versus nurture thing. But I personally, I believe that this is all about his own nature. This isn't really about nurture and the family that he grew up in. I think the kid was just fucked. I mean, this sounds like a case where like he may have been born like a psychopath or like may have been born. Mm-hmm. with some sort of like mental like deficit there um, right and so I want to go into a little bit of the psychology and I'm not a psychologist but I do work in a psychology department like as my full-time job and there have been psychologists that have looked at this case in particular and believe that Roche shows signs of being a narcissist from a very young age and that is part of the reason why he likes the attention that he gains when he's complaining and when he's playing the victim because all eyes are on him And that's part of the reason why they think that he is a narcissist. So I I think it's going to be right. I think it's going to be a little more clear later on in the story. But for many of our audience who might not know what a narcissistic personality disorder looks like, I just want to give a brief little overview. So according to the Mayo Clinic, narcissist personality disorder is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep-rooted need for attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and lack of empathy for others. Outwardly, it appears that they have an abundance of self-confidence when they actually have a very fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to criticisms. And I want people to keep this in mind for later on, because as Roche becomes an adult, it becomes very clear to me that I believe fullheartedly he has a narcissistic personality disorder. And some of the symptoms um, and examples of people with a narcissistic personality are people with this disorder tend to expect a a recognized superiority over others, even without achievements that would warrant it. They exaggerate their own achievements and talents. They monopolize conversations, belittle people that feel inferior, use others to get what they want. And there's an unwillingness to recognize the feeling of others. They can be envious, often come off as very conceited and are preoccupied with fantasies. And I wanna hark on the fantasies because like focus on fantasies can convince themselves that what they're saying and what they're doing 
and what they're thinking in their head is actual reality and that it is a truth because they can't see it any other way. Part of the reason why I think that he ends up using religion to his advantage and talking about the end of the world a lot. Do you think, like, can you be a narcissist, like, based on an experience that you had as a child? Like, if that abuse is true, if the incestual relationships are true, Mm -hmm. can that foster narcissistic mentality in the future like or is that truly a like biological like like can that external experience change your brain to make you think and act that way that's a really good question tom and it's one that i don't necessarily have the answer to I believe it is possible to create narcissistic traits. Like if you were somebody who had to struggle your whole life or were somebody who grew up as an only child um, or you're never put in the situation to give empathy or sympathy or, or compassion to other people, there are definitely ways that you can become selfish and narcissistic. Yeah. But I do not believe that narcissistic personality disorder can be created. I do think it is something that is in your genes. Um, gotcha. But again, I do not have the answer to that. I should look more into that. If I can find an answer, I will definitely bring it up in our second session so that we can clear that up. Um, But you are more than welcome and anybody in the audience is more than welcome to continue looking into this. There's a lot of studies on it, but um, it is one of the hardest um, mental health conditions to actually diagnose. That. So that's that's a really good question. And um, that goes back to the fact that people with narcissistic personality disorder tend to believe their own lies. They cannot put themselves in other people's shoes because of that lack of empathy and that lack of sympathy. Um, They are very fragile when it comes to criticism. So you could say anything to them. And if they believe it was negative in any kind of way, they will immediately go on the defense or the attack. Um, And they continue to tell themselves exactly what they want to hear all the time. So when you're being told every single day by yourself, like, you are awesome, you are awesome, you can do nothing wrong, you can do nothing wrong. When somebody points out that you might have done something wrong, it's just not fathomable or understandable to them. I have a couple more examples, too, that will kind of um, express some of those things as well. But that was like a quick little overview to answer your question. Um, People with narcissistic personality disorder have a hard time taking anything they perceive as a criticism. So they tend to react with impatience or anger. When they don't receive special treatment, they can have interpersonal problems, feel easily slighted, and have severe difficulties regulating their emotions. I'd like to include a quote from a YouTube channel called Serial Killing, a podcast, which can be found in any in my citations at the end, um, because they summarized it beautifully based on a psych article that they had read. So according to psychcentral.com, it's pretty common for narcissistic people to play the victim to manipulate the narrative. Narcissists can't deal with reality because it often contradicts with what they want to be the truth, forcing them to face negative emotions. To cope with this, they convince themselves that the truth really isn't the truth and that that their only point of view is real, and they generally really see it that way, end quote this conversation with a co-worker of mine multiple times and truly we both believe that narcissistic personality disorder is one of the hardest mental health conditions to treat because you literally cannot convince the person 
that they've done anything wrong or that there's anything wrong with them or the way that they treat others is wrong. And again, I'm not diagnosing him, but I lean towards the fact that I, I think he is a narcissistic person. That was my brief little psychology stuff for this, because we're going to see some of these tendencies come out as Roche continues to grow in life. Um, and he doesn't grow in great ways, Tom. He, he doesn't grow in good ways at all. I do believe that. Like, he's just, he's on such a good track. <laughs> he was on such a great track at seven years old. Um, he's okay. so good. So continuing in November of 1967, Roche got married. He got oh. married. <laughs> he got married to a 17-year-old named Francine Grenier. Oh, and at wait, this how time, old was he at the time? He was 20. So, oh, you know, okay. she's 17. He's 20, yeah. which you, David, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> a wedding you show up to and then like you get that information and you're like oh oh I think I'm gonna stay for the appetizers and leave yeah (laughs) (laughs) who else do I know you're right exactly so yeah no um not really okay with that age difference but it was the 60s so I yeah but like you know if they're happy and honestly they were Tom they were again he goes okay. through this very weird, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, so Francine was described as a young, quiet, shy girl, and she was just from a neighboring town. Um, and after getting married, the couple moved to Montreal and went on to have two, two sons, Roche Jr. and Francois, which I loved. And generally, their family was, again, happy. They were a normal, happy family. Okay. Roche, um, Roche at this time decides he's going to convert to a thought from Catholicism to the Seventh-day Adventist church. So even though we hate religion, we're, we're apparently just going through all of them he's, again. He's trying them all. He's he is. Which, getting this you know, good, good for him. You want to go explore different religions? That's you want right. a sampler? Do I think... You dip. You, <laughs> you take dip, a dip, you, you take a bite. You get a couple you... wings, you get a couple quesadillas, you know, it's a mixed bag. It's the poopoo platter. It's the poopoo platter for two. It's How much the, more could you want? It's the spiritual poopoo platter. Look, I get the, it. I'm naming this episode the spiritual poopoo platter. Thank you. Thank you for that. The end. You're welcome. Now okay. I'm hungry again. Oh, so hungry. All right. But um, from Catholicism to the Seventh-day Adventist church. And this is where we continue with the doomsday shenanigans that he just is going to hark on forever. So the Seventh-day Adventist Church believed that starting October 22nd of 1844, Jesus began the last phase called atoning ministry in the sanctuary in heaven, and they celebrate their Sabbath on Saturdays instead of Sundays, and to them, death is just an unconscious state where they sleep. So they also follow a vegetable. Yeah, apparently never. Apparently, I don't know because it started in 1844. Jesus was making the last phase called the atoning ministries in the sanctuary of heaven. So he's right, he's guys. building the right. ministry of heaven where once they have woken up from their slumber, they will go to this ministry that Jesus has apparently built for them. Part of this religion is also that they follow a vegetarian or vegan diets uh, based on preachings in the Bible which I, I've never actually noticed that in my 
persecution of looking at different religions. I didn't realize that we were eating vegan. Um, they also forbid alcohol and tobacco and very surprisingly to me, do not believe that hell is just a pit of nonstop torture. I feel like they're the reasons that we have tofurkeys. Maybe, maybe. But I thought it was interesting that they didn't believe in a like hell was just a torturous pit of doom. I don't know what they believed it was, but they just didn't sign on to that. I think in like most Catholic religions or like, um, I'm just going to use Catholic as an example. I think that they mm-hmm. view hell as a place of um, like interim like Mm -hmm. you're you're unrested like you don't have Hmm. a final resting place so it's not all like fire and broomstick it's more like your soul doesn't get to rest interesting okay i thought that was purgatory yeah like purgatory i guess is what i'm trying to say so like hell is equal to purgatory hell is equal to purgatory from my experience and our viewers are welcome to correct me but i was brought up catholic and like oh. that was my impression of hell. That's was that really it was interesting. Like this unrested place, like this place of unease or whatever. I'm happy that you shared that. That's never how it was portrayed to me, but I'm I'm happy that you shared that because I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah, because like when I went to communion and stuff as a kid, they'd be like, Yeah, like we forgive all your sins or whatever, but Mm-hmm. we were taught that like if your sins were not forgiven then you would go to hell like you would be unrested because you would never huh. have that final of like god forgives you or gotcha. whatever like you can rest in peace now like you don't gotcha. get that so hmm. okay well moving on <laughs> in 1970 roche um he started struggling severely with stomach ulcers which he had actually had oh. to have surgery on. And after the surgeries, things did not get better because a lot of complications and chronic health issues stemmed from these stomach ulcers. And he then lives the rest of his life with these severe stomach ulcer pains. Oh my um, God, I can he's imagine. Got, right, he just gets cramps on a daily basis, stomach aches. Um, he also had this thing called like dumping, which is when your body like can't fully like I don't even want to get into it I'm all done with that (laughs) we've talked about poop enough I'm I'm good yeah um so anybody who's put into this situation I were put into this situation you would catch me laying in bed for literally the rest of my life and ceasing to exist from the outside world but Roche had the opposite issue he decided that he and all of his health concerns was he was going to become obsessed and he was going to start looking into holistic healings, including medicine, herbs, and the human anatomy. And he becomes obsessed with looking into that while he's dying of his stomach ulcers. He really is like a spiritual poo-poo platter. He is a spiritual poo-poo platter. You are 1000% correct. And it is so interesting to see that he just gets obsessed with things like immediately. Yeah. He just like, he wants those two bites and like he wants to move on. Yep. So he starts becoming obsessed with holistic healing. He's learning about medicine. He's learning about herbs and the human anatomy. And you're going to see that this transcends into something different later on. Shortly after Roche, um, shortly after this, Roche moves his whole family. So Francine and his two little boys um, to Thetford Mind. So they go back to Thetford Mind where everything's covered in asbestos and nobody should be breathing the air. And he decides, I'm going to be a woodworker. That's what he wants to do. He wants to be a word worker. And again, 
he does really fucking well. He becomes a really good woodworker. This guy, there is apparently just everything is normal about him while not being normal all at the same time. So I don't understand how he does so good. He also decides that he's going to immerse himself in the local politics and the French Shiners, which I didn't look up, but I assumed it was some sort of religious group or some cultural group. Yeah, I don't know Um, much about them, but yep. Yeah, I definitely had heard the name before, but if anybody knows what French Shriners are, please let me know. And he uses this platform of politics and in working in the community to talk about how much he dislikes Catholicism again. He just goes back out into the community to start shitting on Catholicism. And he can't make up his mind. This guy cannot make poo-poo platter of mystic capabilities for two. Yeah, like seriously, like, okay. Yeah. Yep. So throughout all this, this guy is still experiencing severe stomach pains on a daily basis, and his holistic healing doesn't seem to be working. So he says, screw it. And he starts drinking heavily to self-medicate himself for the pain. He just becomes a full-blown alcoholic. Yeah. Up until this point, everything has been going okay for Roche and his family. He has had a normal childhood. He has had a normal family life. He has two normal boys and a happy marriage. But this is when everyone starts to see him change because he becomes a raging alcoholic. Oh, no. This is the time where Roche suddenly becomes fascinated and obsessed again with sex and sexual intimacy and other women. And so he quickly obtains a mistress named Giselle who starts spending all of his fucking money. They start drinking, they go out, they're having affairs with each other. And Roche finally gets his house repossessed and goes completely bankrupt. Oh my. Right. So Francine, like the bad bitch that she is, she said, all right, I'm gonna be out and I'm taking the kids. She just smartest decision ever. She just up and good girl, left. like good, good girl. That is the correct, appropriate response, Francine. It like claps for you. Good job, because that was the appropriate response. And in true Roche fashion, after Francine left, he continued to play the victim because he wanted the attention. So he started sleeping in his truck because according to his religion and his morals on sleeping with women that were not, he was not married to, he just couldn't let anybody see him sleeping with Giselle, his mistress. So he lived in his truck so that people would not know that he was sleeping with somebody else and so that he could gain the attention from him. Like, no one cares, buddy. Like, you're an asshole. <laughs> like, you're, you become a raging alcoholic. You go into the community talking about how much you hate everybody's main religion at the time and he's like the guy that like is like redefining himself like every time uh and you're like can you just like stop like yeah yep so he continues to go out and preach about religion and morals publicly and particularly he starts focusing on masculinity being an authority figure over femininity oh boy yep so we're just going downhill from here so it's at this time he starts getting some traction Roche starts meeting with a small group of Adventists that were being led by a Guadalupian pastor named Pierre Zita and they made every Saturday or they met every Saturday in a motel to hear Pierre preach on conservative living and the second coming of Christ so Roche really takes an interest in this um and since he's been completely broke, he says, hey, 
you know, I could go door to door and sell things for this religion, just like I hated doing when I was a kid. And that's exactly what he does. So we have gone full circle. And he goes door to door. Yep. This is the whole thing that caused him to hate religion in the first place. And this is exactly what he's doing. I hate it. I hate it too. So in 1977, Pierre notices that Roche has a talent for this because again, by all means, everybody says that this is a charismatic, outgoing, confident man, just like he was as a kid, except he's a raging alcoholic. Roche really takes an interest in this. Oh, I'm sorry. I went back again. I'll cut that part out. Uh, 1977, Pierre notices that Roche has talent for this because everyone seems to think that this man is wicked charming, which I'm not seeing it. But Pierre puts him in a charge of a program to help church followers quit smoking. And again, this this buffoon excels and starts gaining more followers. They just keep giving him the perfect opportunity to gain traction with people. And as a note, he goes back to completely eating healthy and not doing any alcohol and not doing any smoking. And he goes back to his fully vegetarian and vegan life. He is the poo-poo platter of the universe. Like of the, the universe. I have no words for this man. I don't even know that many religions. And the thing is, is we haven't even gotten to the shitty stuff that he does. And I already hate him. Just like, I'm violently annoyed. <laughs> like I'm, ag- I'm aggressively irritated. <laughs> I'm aggressively irritated. In the mid-70s, he actually convinces. Now, this is where we start to go completely south. The mid-70s, he convinces a small group of people to drop out of college, leave oh, their God. families, leave their jobs and their homes behind, and join him in communal living and religion. This group of people consisted of Solange Pollard, 21 years old, Chantal Labrie, 19 years old, Francine Laslum, 18, Nicole Ruel, 20, Maurice, I don't know what his last name is, he was just named Maurice and he's 18 years old, Claude Ouellette, Zaya Pelletier, 24, and a husband and wife couple known as Jack Gergram and Reese Grenier, who were 24 and 23. And this group of people, what what Roche meant by communal living was, let's take this group of people and move them into Giselle's apartment. All of them. What? Yep. And this is where Roche continued to preach his religion and the end of the world in lengthy seminars to them. So like, where did they sleep? Like, what was the square footage? No idea. This They're tactic, sharing a bed. They're sharing yeah. a bed. This tactic is used in many abusive relationships where the abuser tries to isolate the victims, making them feel like they are the only person who knows what's best for them could help them and all of that kind of stuff. So this is the first sign that whatever Roche is planning and whatever he's doing in his head, he is isolating these people from the rest of the world already. And he's trying to pull out his followers. These are kids. These are kids. Literally the youngest is 18. The oldest is 24 years old. I'm 26 years old. We are, we are semi adults, but we are children. Like, you are so young at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're, and, you're still figuring it out. 
extremely impressionable. I'm just now at 26 starting to remotely figure anything out and I'm nowhere near there. Yeah. Same. I am 27 and I some days feel like I have it down and then other days I'm like, nope. Oh no. Other days the world just slaps me in the face and says, you thought, you thought. Yeah. You thought. Ha ha. So he convinces these literal children to leave everything that they know behind and Roche goes on a summer retreat in the banks of Lake Le Rousseau in Ontario. So they all oh, go out God. on this treat, retreat into the woods. And during that trip, they gain two more followers, a young nurse named Gabriella Lavalle and a young <laughs> French woman. Chances? What are the chances that they just happen to be walking out in these woods? So the second follower's name is Yolande Junifer. And while on the retreat, Roche goes out on a hike by himself where he claims that God began speaking to him and he had a spiritual awakening. Oh, he had like a burning bush moment. Yep, where Roche claims that this random area in the woods is now a holy ground. And he goes back to his followers to tell them everything that happened while they're on this retreat in the La Russo, Ontario Lake area. Oh my God. So... Now we're up to October of 1977, where Roche convinces all these kids again. So this is the second time now. Drop everything that you're doing and move to St. Mary, which is 40 miles outside of Quebec, to build a clinic. And this is a two-story house that they decided to rent. And he starts claiming that after the spiritual awakening, he is now a prophet and his followers should marry each other. They should all get married to each other. And he actually ended up forcing people to marry each other. And everyone else in their family, and that everybody else that these kids knew, their family, their friends, their jobs, their school, are all corrupt. And that the only person that they can trust because God has spoken to him is Roche himself because he is a prophet. You should, I wish the audience, of what, of what, we don't know. We don't know, Tom. He's just a prophet. He's just a prophet. Oh my god. Poopoo platter prophet. He's a poopoo platter prophet. <laughs> I can't stop saying poopoo platter. Um, <laughs> so not only is he a prophet and everybody should marry each other, but now he's like, also, here are these very ugly uniforms that I would like to wear. Stop. And <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He makes them wear uniforms, he makes them wear robes. Um, and they move to a clinic where everyone will be treated as equals, as he says. He says, everybody will be treated equally. We will do communal living here, wear these ugly robes. Also call me a prophet. All Did he wear the ugly robe, though? He got to wear a very specific robe, and I will tell you about it later. Oh, God. Okay. So the uniforms were just these long, like, ankle-length robes where the men wore beige, the woman wore green. And Roche wore what I'm deeming a poop brown robe because he is a literal shit stain on the earth. That So yes, that is I the robe that, that he wore. Isn't that great? Yeah. And they rented that, su- that two-story home and they turned yep. it into a, again, again, Tom, a semi-successful clinic. Again with the success. And I don't understand. But a semi-successful clinic called the Healthy Living Adventist. Um, the Healthy Living Clinic, which focused on holistic remedies and faith healing based on the Seventh-day Adventist preachings. And to fund this new business, he said, you know what? Everybody should sell their belongings. Not me, because I don't have any belongings. But everybody else, 
should sell their belongings. So that's what he made everybody do. So I want to be at this yard had. sale. I wish I was there. Imagine the, success, the deals. Yeah, and the success of the clinic kept bringing in more followers, more people that Roche could preach to and talk to about his Adventist doomsday that was going to be happening. Um, now, most of the people who ended up joining Roche's little commune were women, obviously. Uh, and they were all taken aback by Roche's charm, which again, I'm, I'm not seeing this charm. I don't know where this charm is coming from. And if you look up a picture of him, he is a bald man with a long brown beard, wearing a shit stained colored robe. That's nothing, awesome. nothing attractive about this at all. That's awesome. Um, and it's at this time that his mistress, Giselle, starts getting a bit worried because there's a lot of women coming around and a lot of women joining this commune. Is so she wants to like, take a mm -hmm. note. So she wants to secure her position in Roshan's life. And so she asks him to marry her and they get married in winter of 1978. He says, all right, let's do it. And they get married. Yeah, that's a, not a good idea. No. So during the clinic's success, Roche's group is getting very large. And in March of 1978, a man named Eclair joins the group. Unfortunately, his wife, Cheryl Keen, was extremely sick with leukemia in the hospital. Oh, and Roche thinks, man. great, now is our time to shine. So he goes to the fucking hospital where Cheryl is being treated, gets into a literal argument and fight with the doctors that they are killing her with the successful medicine that they are using to treat her leukemia oh, and convinces and no. for forces, not really convinces, but mainly forces, Eclair to discharge Cheryl Dean from the hospital so that she can be treated at this healthy living clinic where they can no. holistically heal her. No. Upon her arrival at the clinic, Cheryl Dean is treated with a diet of grape juice and organic foods, and she passes away within a week, which is oh. just completely devastating. But what's even worse is that this dumpster fire of a human being we call Roche tells his followers that this woman died. When, when this woman died, he was able to pull a trick from Sleeping Beauty and kiss her awake for just a moment. He lies, says that he can do that because he's some kind of prophet. And then his actual words that he said afterwards was, and I, I quote, you know, when God wants people, he takes them. It was her time. No. Dumpster fire of a human. He he just killed this man's wife and continues on with his prophet shit. So which like, it just makes me so angry. So like God is Grim Reaper. Right. Right. So through um so unfortunately this Cheryl Dean dies. I don't know what happens to her husband after that it I many sources didn't really tell me but what I did find also is that through um anti-smoking workshops that Roche had been doing when he was you know preaching from the church and going door to door Pierre had put him in charge in this program to help people stop smoking um he had run into a he had run into the parents of a 19 year old girl named Gabrielle Nadio why was that so hard to say, who suffered from MS. And her parents also checked her into the clinic to undergo treatment at the hands of Roche. 
which oh, is very God. sad. And I don't know if anything happened or if she just got dragged along for the ride and ended up being in it. But I, from what I understand, I believe that she just gets sucked into this because her parents thought that she could be treated by him. Yep. Yep. So the seventh day Adventist hears about this back in Quebec and wants nothing to do with the whirlwind mess that is Roche. And Pierre Zita himself actually starts meeting with these kids' parents and trying to convince them to get their kids back from him to say, no, this, this is not acceptable. This is not what we preach. This is not what our religion is. Please go get your children. We don't know why he's doing this basically. And he even goes to Giselle herself and starts trying to convince Giselle to leave Roche and to get a divorce and to not be with him anymore. And then finally in April, Pierre successfully um, started an initiative and had Roche completely disbanded from the Adventist church. So all the funding that he was getting from going door to door and selling their stuff and preaching, he stops getting that. Good. Yeah, which I think is good too. And as all of this is going on, another bomb drops and Giselle finds out that she's pregnant. And she oh, reportedly God. goes to Roche and tells him to disband the commune because she's like, I'm pregnant. We can't keep doing this. You got to disband the commune. We, we ha- have a child on the way. And this is where the trigger warning comes in. One of them. Roche's response to that was to punch her straight in the face and demand that she not leave the bedroom for two days. So he just punches her in the face and then locks her in the bedroom. What yeah. a shit stain. It, yeah. It's at this point that the clinic starts losing funding because, again, he can't go door to door. They also start losing support. And um, as well, there was an uptick in police presence because now you have somebody running around telling people that they shouldn't be going near this person. And there's a woman who died at their clinic. And obviously, due to their negligence, the police are like, hey, something's not right here. We might want to go investigate a little bit. So Roche does the only thing that he knows how to do, and he packs up the commune for a third time in July of 1978, tells them to drop everything again, and brings them to Fleurs and Laurent in Canada, later christened by him the Eternal Mountains, which were in Quebec, and predicts that Doomsday will be, become, will be coming on February I believe it's 17th of 1979 in a storm of boulders and fire and natural disasters. He starts demanding that they be called, they call him Moses and supposedly gave everyone else biblical names. So now he's not just a prophet. His name is now Moses. And he has a group head out barefoot into the gas peninsula woods. Now he hides them in the woods. Oh my God. Yeah, this, this story just keeps getting like not so. And we're, we're nearing the end of part one. I don't have much left. So the commune's main source of income as they're, they're marching their way into the woods, they find this holy land that uh, Moses Roche was talking about. And he has them kind of like want to build a base there. So the commune's main source of income now comes from government assistance and any kind of family ties or allowances that these members had. So if they had any money coming in from their family, it now went to the commune. They set up a bunch of tents. And as they set up a bunch of tents, they begin to build a communal cabin, a log cabin out in the woods. Yeah. Somehow he gave everyone dark blue robes with the massive amounts of money that apparently he doesn't have uh he says all right you don't need to wear these green and beige ones i'm going to give you these blue robes instead and you can stay barefoot and go out in the woods and build this commune i do like Uh, blue i prefer the blue (laughs) 
And then Roshan, true cult leader fashion, did literally nothing to build the cabin because he claimed that his stomach ulcers made him too sick. And he was a prophet, so he should be doing whatever the hell prophets do. So instead, everyone else in the commune was forced to work 17-hour days on almost no sleep, building a cabin, digging a well, and anyone that didn't want to be doing that or either was either given more work or less food because there was only a rationed amount of food. So he's already not letting them sleep and he's starving them now. Jesus Christ. And again, these are, these are 18, 19, 20 years old. And he's, I believe in his thirties at this point, thirties, forties. So they're going to survive, but like. Yeah. So Yolandi, that girl that he had met when he had originally gone here, she was that French, the French girl, Yolandi, like the badass bitch that she is, made the correct decision, recognizes that this is fucked up and flees back to France, which good for you, girl. You made good the right for call. Her. Like, good, good for, for her. you. I wish you took everybody else with you, but good for fucking you. You and Francine would get along great. I love it. So the end of the world came and went and nothing happened. And Broche claimed it was because of the differences between the Israelites and the Roman Catholic calendar. So he blames this on a calendar. And since Doomsday didn't happen, he decided to change it up and declared that all marriages in the commune need void because now he has to completely derail what's going on so that nobody catches up with his mistakes. So he starts saying, you know how I made you guys like forcibly marry each other earlier on? Well, I'm going to unforcibly marry you, but instead you're going to marry me. All of you, all of the women, all of the women now need to marry Roche. He needed to marry all the women in the commune and he restricted the food rations even further. So if anybody were caught eating more than their portion of food, they were abused. Um, And again, trigger warning, including punching a pregnant woman in their side, breaking a woman's ribs and um, others he made strip naked and stand in the snow for hours. And this is all because one woman wanted an extra pancake than what she was rationed for. What the fuck? Yep. And as a side note, Roche actually impregnated nine of the women and fathered 20 to 26 children. Where the fuck are the men? Mainly this group was women. I think there was only like one or two men in the group. Yeah, right. Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's at this time that the police are really starting to get more interested in Roche and they're hearing from families. Yeah, they're hearing from the community. Right. And again, they're living in the woods, but the woods aren't that far from like people's backyards. So like people can kind of see them out in the woods doing whatever the hell they're doing. Oh my God. This isn't even like deep in the woods. No, this isn't even like super deep in the woods. Like they would come back to society whenever they felt like it. Um, So Roche begins to feel the pressure and he abandons his Adventist diet and begins eating dairy, meat. And here we go again. He starts drinking heavily. And the commune is struggling for money. So this is where Gabriella comes back into play. Gabriella, that 19-year-old with MS who was in the holistic healing clinic and her parents just dropped her off thinking that she would get better. He prostitutes her to a local grocery store so that they can continue getting food from the grocer. What a piece of shit. Yeah, just a 19-year-old girl. And then Roche starts giving lengthy drunken sermons, again, to keep control on the group and continue to instill his quote-unquote values. However, if anybody complained or fell asleep, 
trigger warning, he mercilessly beat them with a four inch club or punched them straight in the torso. So he is just ravaging and beating on these people. And again, this isn't even the worst of it because in the next episode, you're going to hear a lot about how Roche thinks he's a doctor and can perform medical surgeries. And it just keeps getting, it just keeps getting worse because I told you he was obsessed with medicine and human anatomy. And now he's drinking again and he's becoming more violent and things aren't going his way. So therefore he needs to take control of the situation. So I have saved the more gruesome stuff for next week's episode, but I think that this is a good place to stop. And I think this was enough to kind of give you a taste of how bad this case is going to get. But um, thanks for listening, Tom. I hope you enjoy those nightmares. Um, I'll definitely have nightmares. Uh, what? Yeah, this is well, This is why I was telling you I had to make it a two-parter because as I continued to dive into this research more and more, I was finding like all of this crazy shit. And I was like, what do I put in there? What don't I put in there? And some people have been able to cover this case in just one episode between 30 to 40 minutes. But honestly, there's so much that I was like, I can't cut any of it out. Yeah, I feel like I would love to revisit this and like I'm sure that our viewers would as well like from the perspective of like one of these followers such a good idea if we can find like some sort of interpretation by them absolutely the thing that I'm caught up on is like how can you stay like see and that's the thing that I want to talk about in next week's episode too to talk more about like the dynamics of how cults work and the psychology of how it works but again that's why I pointed out that very critical piece that he is isolating these children he is taking them out of their initial daily routine which throws people off right he like tore down their world like he tore down their world that is such a great way to put it Tom he absolutely tore down their world and has been preaching to them nonstop that nothing is worth it. Like going to college isn't worth it. Going through your daily lives isn't worth it because the world is going to end. So you don't need to worry about any of that. You just need to repent and stick with me. You just need to worry about other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Clearly you just need to worry about other stuff, but like the world is going to end. So none of it's going to matter. So you want to focus on this religion. You want to focus on me as a prophet because God speaks to me. So he plays that part and he also has isolated them away from their families. And he's continuing to tell them that their families, the people that they know, the people that they love, everybody's corrupt except him. So he's feeding that to them every day and making them go to lengthy hour to two hour long sermons. And if they don't fall in line with it, they get abused. So he's already like making sure that they're not eating. He's making sure that they're not sleeping. He's abusing them. He's feeding them lies. He's isolated them. These are all techniques that abusive relationships and abusive people use to keep people to stay. Yeah. So we can talk about that more next episode too. And I'll make a note of that to kind of add more of that in there. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, this was a very intense episode, <laughs> but um, we will. Sorry be to bring it down <laughs> next week. Um, Emily, where can people follow us now? 
Oh, what a great question. You can follow us at Wicked Twisted on Twitter. But the E in both Wicked and Twisted is actually a three because Wicked Twisted was taken and I couldn't find any other way to do it. That's awesome. Or you could email us at podcastwickedtwisted at gmail.com. You know, I saw the threes and I loved it because it reminded me of like MySpace when you used to do like the XXX and then like your name. (laughs) I was so excited. (laughs) I was hoping you would like it. It's very like 90s of you. I love it. So give us a tweet or send us an email and we would love to hear what you guys think of the show. Any comments, any questions or any stories you want us to cover. Yeah, guys, we would love your feedback. Um, We are kind of learning as we go through our own adventure here. Um, So your feedback is super, super important to us and uh, we would love to hear it.